Good morning. I'm the Reverend Joe Pagano, and for today's reflection, I am going to read a section from my new essay, The Consolation of Desolate Landscapes. Uh, And the section I'm going to read today is actually the very beginning, um, which I have entitled Movement. Movement. We arrive in Porto Basque, Newfoundland, in the midst of the pandemic. My eyes squint and blink in the early morning light as I drive our U-Haul out of the gaping ferry onto the quay. After a check of our travel documents, we head north on the Trans-Canada Highway, the Gulf of St. Lawrence sparkling and blue on our left, the long-range mountains scrubby and green to our right. Two and a half hours later, we turn into the Humber Valley. The Humber River, smooth and black, snakes through deep cuts in limestone and dolomite on its way to the Bay of Islands. We check our coordinates and pull up to the rectory of the Anglican parish of Pasadena and Cormac. For the next two weeks, we quarantine. Amy and I had been living in South Africa. Sent by the Global Missions Office of the Episcopal Church, we taught theology to ordinance in the Anglican Church. We served at the College of Transfiguration in Makanda and at the University of KwaZulu-Natal in Peter Maritzburg. We were two and a half years into a three-year commitment when the pandemic hit. The Global Missions Office decided to bring everyone home. We catch the last flight out of Peter Maritzburg and the second-to-last commercial flight out of Johannesburg before the country closes down. During quarantine, we can venture only as far as our yard. I walk laps, beating the bounds of our new home. Circling our house, My mind calculates, compares, contrasts. Our half-acre patch lies 49 degrees north of the equator. In South Africa, we lived 33 degrees south of the equator, an 82-degree move north. In the night sky, I no longer see the Southern Cross, but the Big Dipper. Caribou and moose roam the island, roughly the same sizes as the kudu and eland that graze in South Africa. There are no big cats in Newfoundland, only the small Canada lynx. We trade the blocks and pinnacles of the Drakensberg Mountains for the ridges and valleys of the northeastern arm of the Appalachians. Instead of Finbos, We are surrounded by boreal forest. The stark beauty of the Karoo gives way to the stark beauty of limestone barrens. Humpback whales that feed on krill in the Indian Ocean feed on capelin in the Atlantic. Bedrock practices that build up a parish clunk or grind to a halt during the pandemic When allowed to gather for in-person worship, we wear masks, 
Shout good news across empty pews. Drop consecrated hosts into sanitized hands. At online Bible studies, we unmute to share an insight or raise a question. I preach for hours to the cold eye of a video camera to create a 10-minute homily. Necessary, but exhausting. With the non-essential closed and the essential curtailed, I find solace outdoors. The portable spirituality of Ignatius sustains me. As I walk the rugged coastlines and sturdy hills of Newfoundland, I am encouraged to find God in all things. Scriptural contemplation sharpens my imagination, hones my sensations to the feel, smell, sight, and sound of the place. On lonely walks, I fall easily into intimate conversation with the Lord, who feels near. I find consolation in desolate landscapes. The geological history of Newfoundland is a story of movement. Memorial University geoscientist Harold Williams dubbed this the Henry Hibbs effect after a well-known Newfoundland accordion player. Williams was a pioneer in the plate tectonics revolution of the 1960s. The theory says that the Earth's crust is divided into approximately 20 segments known as plates. They are in constant motion, in different directions, and at varying speeds. When plates collide, they produce mountains. When plates separate, they create oceans. Like the billows of an accordion, when squeezed, they form mountain ridges. When pulled apart, they flatten into ocean basin. In the accordion tune that formed Newfoundland, the first squeeze took place more than a billion years ago. The Uranus Ocean disappeared as the eastern edge of the North American plate collided with other plates, creating the supercontinent Rodinia. Along the collision line, the long-range mountains rose in what is known as the Grenville Orogeny. Around 600 million years ago, the accordion billows expanded and Rodinia broke apart. The Iapetus Ocean formed as water flooded into the rift. About 450 million years ago, the accordion squeezed again. Continents collided, the Iapetus disappeared, and the new supercontinent, Pangaea, assembled. During the new mountain-building event, known as the Appalachian Orogeny, Parts of the Iapetus's crust and Earth's mantle were thrust upward and emplaced on the eastern edge of the Canadian shield. This collision, along with scouring of glaciers in subsequent ice ages, 
shaped the landscape of western Newfoundland. Approximately 250 million years ago, the squeeze box opened again. The Atlantic Ocean formed as supercontinent Pangaea broke apart. It wasn't a clean break along the previous collision line. A fragment of North Africa snapped off, forming what is now eastern Newfoundland. The Atlantic Ocean is still expanding at the rate of 0.5 centimeters per year. I tend to think of mountains and oceans as steadfast markers of place. If you want to get your bearings in western Newfoundland, look up. If you can see the gulf or mountains, you can easily find your way. Geoscientists look at the same mountains and oceans and see markers of extraordinary movement. Rock that formed on tropical seafloors south of the equator, now now cap mountains in Newfoundland. Where will they be in another 500 million years? The accordion tune plays on. The God of Israel is a God of movement. Unlike many ancient Near Eastern deities, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, is not bound to place. God's call uproots Abram from his homeland and guides him to new places, holding before him the promise of land, descendants, and blessing. God is like a shepherd who leads his flock. The ancestors are like adventurers, who in response to God's summons, step into the unknown. At the yearly festival of Shavuot, Israel rehearses their family history, saying, A wandering Aramean was my ancestor. He went down into Egypt and lived there as an alien, few in number, and there he became a great nation, mighty and populous. The exodus from Egypt, the story of Israel's deliverance from the yoke of Pharaoh, the crossing of the sea, the wandering through the wilderness, tells how God acts in history. It is also the way God creates a people. The mobile God of Israel creates a people on the go. The song of the sea praises the God who went before Israel in a pillar of cloud by day and a pillar of fire by night. It tells of the miraculous deliverance of Israel from the Egyptian forces at the Reed Sea when God made a path through the waters. Israel was formed by passing through the sea. The waters of the sea were also in motion. Scholars are unclear on precisely where the Reed Sea is located, probably somewhere north of the Red Sea. They are clear Yam Suf is not the Red Sea, a mistranslation of the Hebrew by the Septuagint. In geological terms, the exact location of the Reed Sea doesn't matter. 
wherever Yamsuf may be, it still falls within the rift created by the African and Arabian plates drifting apart. The rift movement is ongoing at a rate of two centimeters per year. If we date the Exodus to approximately 1300 BCE, that means that the Reed Sea is now 6,640 centimeters wider. In modern terms, that's about three-quarters the length of a football field. In biblical terms, that's approximately 144 cubits, or 30 turns of a chariot wheel. The strong arm of the Lord is also mighty deft. After their deliverance, Israel wanders in the wilderness, first to Sinai, then to the promised land. These sojourn narratives are times of testing, rebelliousness, and danger for the people. The wilderness in the Old Testament is harsh, a place of hunger and thirst, of thieves and madmen, of beasts and demons. And yet, it is also the place where God despite Israel's whining and rebelliousness, sustains and shows steadfast love to the people in their need. God gives his beloved a covenant on Sinai, water from a rock, manna and quail in the wilderness. Jeremiah and Hosea look back fondly to Israel's wanderings, as a time of special closeness to God, despite Israel's hardship. In the wilderness, Israel was forced to rely solely upon God, and God proved steadfast, forgiving, generous beyond all imagining. It was a honeymoon period, albeit one with a complicated itinerary and quite a few spats. Nonetheless, in hard times, Hosea and Ezekiel call for a return to the wilderness for purification and renewal. After quarantine, we hike the Tablelands. The Tablelands are one of the few places on the planet where you can walk on the Earth's mantle. When Pangaea formed some 450 million years ago, part of the Earth's mantle that underlie the oceanic crust of the Iapetus was thrust over the eastern edge of the Canadian Shield. Repeated scraping by glaciers exposed a portion of the mantle, which usually lies 30 to 70 kilometers below the Earth's crust. Driving to the trailhead on a clear September morning, our vehicle cruises between two worlds. On the right, the greens of boreal forest dominate. Spruce, fir, and lark trees, moss, ferns, and sheathed sedge. The occasional white slashes of birch trees provide some relief. On the left, the massive burnt orange block 
of the tablelands, towers 700 meters above sea level. They look otherworldly. More precisely, it is how the inner world of the Earth's mantle looks in the open air. The iron in the periodotite rusts when exposed to oxygen. Split the rock open, and it has a dark, olivine interior. Other metals in the periodotite, magnesium, chrome, cobalt, copper, aluminum, and nickel, make it inhospitable to vegetation. The orange cliffs and eroded slopes shed rock into the barren valley. NASA and the Canadian Space Agency used the tablelands as a Mars analog site to prepare for future missions. I can see why. The Tablelands hike takes you into Winterhouse Brook Canyon, up the steep face of the escarpment, across a few miles of plateau, and then back down the northwest rim of the bowl, a large basin caused by landslide. We walk southeast on an exposed piece of the Earth's mantle. It now forms part of the North American plate, which moves west at a rate of 0.5 centimeters per year. At a latitude that is spinning on the Earth's axis at approximately 1,045 kilometers per hour, orbiting the sun at around 108,000 kilometers per hour, circling the Milky Way at a rate of 777,000 kilometers per hour, in a universe that we are told is expanding at a rate somewhere between 67 and 82 kilometers per second. I feel lightheaded and sit down on a peridotite boulder. I take a couple of sips of water, stand upright, check my balance, and walk into the canyon. <laughs>